go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. And today, we're definitely talking about the human experience. I'm going to introduce my guest in just a second. Before I do, get your butts over to Facebook. If you're not there yet, make sure that you join the Lead, Sell, Grow Mastermind tribe. Would love to see you in a group and chat with you one-on-one. All right. So today, uh, my guest is Laban Digburn. He's been through hell and back. I had a chance to talk to Laban uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, dude, you got to come on the show, got to share your story, and uh, you guys will know why right after this episode. From being addicted to sex, alcohol, gambling, and drugs, to running an ultra marathon and searching the planet for the world's greatest stake, today he defines the word transformation and inspires those ready to change their lives. Laban's internationally acclaimed book, Bet on You, is a must-read with its raw, real, hilarious, and inspiring message of hope. Known as the world's best courage coach, he's also the creator of the Podcasting Heroes Movement and host of Become Your Own Superhero Podcast. Laban shares his life in Mexico with his beautiful wife, Anna, who also has an incredible story and will be on our next episode. Can't wait for you guys to meet her, but let's meet Laban first. Laban, welcome to the show, my friend. Privet, amigo. Privet, amigo. Dude, you know, you, you're, in, you're living in Mexico, sharing your life with Anna, who's from Russia, and you don't sound or look like you're from Mexico. <laughs> so tell us about... <laughs> Tell us about that journey because I think it's so freaking cool. Well, first things first, Eric. If you're watching this podcast and you've been benefiting from the amazing content that Eric's been putting out into the world, get onto iTunes, get on Amazon, get onto Spotify, and leave a review. Oof. And why you want to leave a review is because that helps the algorithm drive it out to organic traffic. It helps other people to benefit from what he is doing. He is doing incredible work in the world. So once this is finished, go out and do that. Share the love, share it with someone you care about. And the law of reciprocity will reward you in more ways than you can possibly ever quantify. A little bit of Dr. Cialdini there. I love it. Thank you. I don't know who he is, but I, I think him and I would get on good. <laughs> law of reciprocity. That's him. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. I didn't know that. He learns something every day, right? So you asked the question, Eric, what's a non-Mexican, non-Indian, non-Russian looking dude living in Mexico and well, currently recording in India? Uh, for those who've got an ear for accents, I'm actually from New Zealand, but I'm half Australian because my dad's an Australian. My mum's a Kiwi, spent approximately half my life in each country. And for the last year and a half, my wife and I fled to Mexico to escape the tyranny of lockdown in Melbourne, Australia. And for the last two months, we've been traveling across India, which after visiting 30 countries, Eric, and living in six, this is my favorite country on planet Earth. India or Mexico? India. Mexico, yeah. Mexico is incredible. But India is one of those places, particularly to, the, to people in the US and Canada, because it's so far, not many people get over here. And there's a lot of misconceptions about this country and, and the people here. And I've got to say, dude, this is one of the most accommodating, advanced, like 
unbelievably warm spiritual countries I've ever experienced. And you have to be here to see it, to believe it. So, I mean, I picture India, and this is in my ignorance. I picture like almost third world, very, very poor. Um, you know, that's that's kind of in my mind because that's what we see on TV. So what is it really like? Well, look, I've been to Mumbai, Hyderabad, Goa, and now in Bangalore or Bangalore, they call it. And Bangalore is the one of the tech hubs for all of the IT support. IBM has an office here with 150,000 staff. Like phone data is fast. Everyone pays with like GPay. <laughs> like there is there is components of what you think about when you think India, right? There's places where garbage is all over the road and yeah, it's in the rivers and there's cows on the street, you know, in every city that you visit and they're eating the, the garbage out of there. But as you spend more time here, you realize that this, you know, every country's got its flaws, right? You go to parts of LA, which would probably be on par with some of the dirtiest parts of India here. Yeah. And that you don't have the, the downtown LA part wouldn't, I wouldn't walk or leave my wife alone. I wouldn't go there by myself, but you can walk around here and feel completely safe. And I think that's, that's a big factor, but for every one negative thing here or every challenge in India, there's a hundred other incredible things. And that's the difference. It's all about perspective. And it's taught me a lot about myself being here. And, and uh, the more I travel, the more I experience other cultures and races and creeds, the more of an understanding I get about how I want to live my life. And, and it, it's taught me a lot of compassion and uh, patience and, and it's been a very rewarding journey. Let's just say that. That's, that's awesome, man. So the lockdowns are done. Is, is Mexico now the new home forever or, I mean, never say forever, but for now. Well, we, you know, when we left, uh, we didn't, we didn't know we were going to live in Mexico. We, we ended up in Mexico because for a litany of reasons, my wife ended up back in Russia for some urgent family business. We weren't married at the time. And as you know, like I couldn't get a visa quickly to go be with her. Would have taken a month. And the only reason I got out was my publisher wrote a letter to the government in Australia. Now, bear in mind, we're both Australian citizens as well as I'm a New Zealand citizen and as also a Russian citizen as well. And... They rejected Anna's first application to go back to Russia. They rejected two of my applications to leave the country. And then when they did approve it, they said, you need to be out of the country for at least three months. So I ended up in Germany because the publisher wrote a letter saying, Laban needs to be at the Frankfurt Book Fair, right? The Frankfurt Bookmesser, one of the biggest book fairs in the world. And, and uh, I went there and then I posted my passport back to get a visa to go be with Anna in Russia. And the day after I shipped my passport back via Express Post, Russia shut its borders to the world because of COVID. And then Germany shut its borders two days later to everyone else because of COVID. And so here I am stranded in Berlin at this point with no passport and can't go back to Australia. And I said to Anna, where are we going to meet up? And I had a boys trip in 2011 with me and four rapscallions, we'll call them. We drove across from Mexico City to Playa del Carmen 
for anyone who knows that Plato Carmen, it's about 45 minute drive from Cancun in a beautiful part of the world in the Caribbean. And I said, and I had a look and the only place that would allow us in, you know, for not having vaccines and all the other stuff was Mexico. And so we managed to get flights there. We reunited after being apart for seven weeks, which is seven weeks longer than we'd been apart for in the past. And the place is a tropical paradise and it's on, you know, Eastern standard time. So it's aligned with the U S which is where a lot of my work comes from. And uh, Mexican people are legit. Yo, they're the real deal. And uh, what a wicked place to live. And it's easy access to get across to the U S if we need to. And, and uh, you know, it's a long way from Australia, but I've got a little bit of family back there and some in New Zealand, but uh, I've got bigger fish to fry right now. Good for you, man. Good for you. All right. Before we, before we get into the fish, you got to fry now what you're doing. Yeah. Let's figure out who the man is today. Like where, where, where did you come from? What was the story from the, the addict to the ultra marathon runner that you are? Well, when I tell you this story here and, and you know, the dear listener is, I want you to hear this about you because there's so many incredible stories of, of overcoming major adversity. And I know your mum and dad are the epitome of that and with what they accomplished by getting out of the, the Cold War and, and uh, getting out of the, the USSR and getting into the United States with the shirts on their back and 500 bucks, right? For sure. So, so my, my story is in 2015, I found myself at home in Melbourne on my bed with my laptop open, no TV going, and I was gambling on a horse race in Hong Kong with money that I shouldn't have been spending. And I had this epiphanous moment that my life was destined for much greater things than what it was. And I had about three and a half bottles of appropriately priced Pinot Noir coursing its way through my veins, smashing into my liver. And there was a number in the bottom left-hand corner of the laptop, and I just called the number. And it was the gambler's helpline. And this extraordinary woman whose last name I'll never know, but I'll just call it Magdalene because her first name was Mary. And she listened to me for the first time in my life without judgment. And she just let me verbally diarrhea all the woes and the troubles that I've been going through. And then she just let me finish. And she said, Laban, problem gamblers commit suicide at rates way higher than any other addictive behavior. And that statement put the fear of God on me. And she put me in touch with this incredible woman, Lee, who was a gambling psychologist, which was funded by taxes from gambling losses. So for the first time in my life, I was up. And that started an 18-month sessions with her that were once a week for a year and then every two weeks for six months. And in that first session, she asked me a question about my mum and I just broke down. Now, the dysfunction for me, Eric, was being a child of divorce and nothing more innocuous than that. And as kids, we were used as pawns and custody agreements and there was foster home trips and the, you know, the, the parents using kids as leverage and, and a lot of trauma, a lot of poverty, which is very character building, but there's a lot of poverty mindset. And so I, I didn't grow up with the right tools. So and as I was going through this healing journey of understanding what I'd gone through and realizing that I could use that as my new superpower, I started to unlearn and de-learn a lot of the dysfunctional behavior and then started to relearn the functional stuff. 
And, and as I slowly did that, my I managed to sort my health out. I had an incurable autoimmune disease that I fixed in four days by eliminating gluten and refined carbohydrates out of my diet. And as my gut health got better, my mental health got better, I started to lose weight. And over the course of about three years, I lost 60 pounds of body fat and put on 30 pounds of muscle. And I don't know if you know what that looks like on someone who's five foot eight and a half, right? I turn into a Jason Statham. And, and I, I started running inexplicably. Like I just started running like Forrest Gump. And in May, 2018, I went from running the furthest that I'd ever run in one go, which was three miles to completing a 26 mile marathon two weeks later, which I ran in three hours, 56. And then eight weeks after that, I completed a 30 miler. And then eight weeks after that, I completed my first 60 miler. And I've gone since gone on to complete three of those 60 milers and maybe about 10 or 15 ultra other ultra runs that are not so long. And, but you don't just start running. Hold on one second. Hold on. Can I, can we back up a little bit? What did you say? What made you want to dial that number? Like, why did you even make the call? It's, it's a divine download. It's the only way I can describe it. Like it was just an intuitive feeling response that I was like, I need to ring this mother number. You're and sitting there placing a bet on a horse race. There's a number that pops up that says gamblers anonymous or something along those lines. And you, you, some just said, call it. And so you called, they pick up Mary Magdalene picks up. What did you, what did you say to her? I don't actually remember any specifics because I was pretty blind drunk, <laughs> but, but it was all I remember, Eric, was that she asked me why I was calling and I admitted for the first time in my life and I'd had an inkling that I had a problem and, and by her listening without judgment i would then felt comfortable sharing more and sometimes that's all we need right just one person to listen without judgment and that's what she did and she'd been doing it for 30 years so she knew what she was doing but i would love an opportunity to thank her one day and i don't know that i'll ever get a chance to do that i don't know whether she's still alive but it was an extraordinary moment in my life and as soon as i made that decision there was like a switch that went off in my head and i knew that i was on the right path and don't get me wrong, Eric, it was a lot of work in between that, you know, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this, you know, if, if people want to get the, the full gambit, like read the book, because uh, I lay it all out there in black and white and to the best of my recollection. And uh, it's a fun, it's a fun journey to relive it, you know. Um, and I just, I just knew from a very young age that I was destined for much, much greater things than what I was achieving. And I was, doing a job that I was okay at, but I hated it in hindsight. It was out of alignment. The universe had much bigger plans for me. And I just finally relented and submitted to God. What were you doing and for work? I used to work in IT recruitment. So I used to get nerds jobs. <laughs> and it was like, I hated IT. <laughs> like, I didn't know how any of it worked, but it was, you know, it was, a job to fund my, you know, the, the alcohol and gambling and the drug habit. All right. So at this point, you're weighing 60 pounds more than you should be. And you just said, 
I should just start running. I mean, you cut out gluten, started taking I'd lost, gut. Yeah, I'd lost some weight. If anyone who's heavy, let's call it what it is, if anyone's fat and you and you've tried running, you know that it's hard work, right? And it makes sense that the less you weigh, the easier it is to run. I, but I, I started from a very low point. I remember the first time I, I ran or tried to run, it was about 500 yards. And I was absolutely gassed. And I just kept going. And what I found is when I, when I built up later on, the running was very cathartic for me. I used to burst into tears of joy and release when I would hit about the seven and eight mile mark. And, and I've theorized with very intelligent people that, that might have been stored trauma that was in my fat cells. And because I was a fat adapted athlete, as in I was burning predominantly body fat as fuel, that that was burning out through my body, or they call it like chelating. And, and that was the trauma really, you know, coming from the body. If anyone's read that Bessel van der Kock, you know, body, body keeps the score. score, right? Like there's, there's plenty of evidence to suggest there might be some truth in that. Anyway, that, that was what happened. And for anyone who's been a professional runner or, or experienced long distance runs like that, a lot of people talk about runners high and, and the experience. Like once you get to a point where you become light on your feet, there's something really, really freeing and incredible with running. You can just go with a pair of shorts and a pair of shoes. And even if you want to go barefoot at times and have this incredible experience. And that, that's just what happened. I, I, I'd never had an interest in running. I'd always been pretty active. I played cricket, you know, which is kind of like baseball for you guys that don't know anything about cricket. And uh, But I, I carried all the weight the whole the whole time. I was a big fatty. And uh, I got good looking. So how did you lose weight first before you started running? I went keto, keto. for a bit. And then I went carnivore. And I cut out, yeah, I cut out all plants for three and a half years, including fruits, nuts and seeds all gone. So all you ate, breakfast, lunch, dinner was meat? Animal animal products, yeah. Mainly red meat, some chicken, you know, wild-caught fish, plenty of eggs and cheese, a little bit of cream here and there. But uh, no, no, I had black coffee, which was the only plant that I really had. And uh, I... Say I can safely say ninety nine percent of everything I ate was animal based. Wow! And that, if you ask me, Laban, what do you think had one of the most profound effects on your healing when I when I adopted that style of eating? Now this was out of necessity, by the way, right? Because of my previous health issues, and I suspect I'd had a number of other undiagnosed health issues as well. My body had been beat up, and but eating that way sent my mental health through the roof, and I became. If, if you've anyone seen that movie with Bradley Cooper, Limitless, when he takes that that pill that allows his brain to work at 100% capacity, that's legitimately how I felt every single day. And and I and I had tremendous deep sleep. I got really good REM sleep. And anyone knows anything about about recovery is that as an athlete, the best sleep you can get will allow faster recovery. And I just think that my body was operating so beautifully that I was pounding it throughout the day, getting this wonderful seven or eight hours of sleep every night. And then in the morning, it'd be like, bing, and I'm back back to it again. And I was, I was running to work at one point about six miles a day there and back. 
four days a week and I was doing three body weight sessions a week and I was doing boxing on a Saturday and I was just roasting calories. And I, my, my body fat went from 14.4% to 8.4% through DEXA scan in three and a half weeks eating just beef. Wow. So would you recommend, like, do doctors recommend that diet? If it's allopathic, not, if it's not a necessary thing to do? Allopathic medicine can go do one, right? Most don't take health advice from fat doctors for starters. They demonize, <laughs> they've demonized red meat. They've demonized eggs, right? And it's all bullshit, Eric. Milk. Don't take my word for it. Go and talk to other people. Go and talk to other people that have lived it. Because the beautiful thing about this journey that I've been on, I've been documenting all of my blood work for, for 10, 12 years now. So I can show this beautiful linear graph of my health getting progressively better and better and better. And when I lost 60 pounds of body fat, put on 30 pounds of muscle, what I neglected to tell you is that I also put on half a kilo of skeletal bone density, as in my body rejuvenated bone tissue, right? Unheard of. But it makes perfect sense when you think about the food that I was eating, which contains huge amounts of all the key nine amino acids that humans need to thrive. And, and my body just loved it. Mm. And I still eat predominantly that way, although I've healed my gut to the point where I can tolerate some other plants. I'm still no good on gluten. I'm still no good on vegetable oils and that kind of thing. And I would recommend to anyone to eliminate that crap out of your diet. And you'll yeah. feel better. I would agree with that. My son has celiac. So he's um, gluten is a huge no-no for him. And so we're very limited on that in our in our household. But but I don't just do meat products, right? Like if if you talk to our philosophy is more like if you had to choose one, it would be more plant-based than meat. Although I'd probably shoot myself if that was 100% it. <laughs> but uh, it, I like to keep it, you know, balanced. Well, the, the whole subject around this thing is you've got to find the thing that resonates with your body, right? I don't give a shit what people eat. I just that's, want to know the truth. That's it. And the, the truth that's coming out, Eric, is this whole plant-based agenda, this whole drive to eat soy and all that stuff is it's totally backward. And, and I think more spend... paleo, let me rephrase that. Paleo is the way we go. So yeah. great, great. It's, um, you know, I've spent, I've done a PhD equivalent in the, in the amount of research because I wanted to make sure I wasn't harming my body because it was the only thing I could eat. And uh, when you start going down the rabbit hole and then on the podcast, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds on planet earth. I've had Nobel prize winners and, you know, multiple PhDs. Like I'm getting this information from these mofos you know what i mean so anyway you can tell it's something i'm pretty passionate about yeah no i love it in terms well healing from trauma recovering from from you know physical impact if you can get the body in a, in a state where it's going to heal money baby a hundred percent one hundred percent all right my friend so talk to us about your coaching so now you've had this tremendous transformation physically mentally you feel good you're looking good got the woman of your dreams to marry you where was that you quit the you know finding jobs for geeks to becoming who you are now in the podcasting world and in coaching people the coaching really ramped up i was doing 
what you would call kind of life coach stuff in 2019, but it was more like employment guidance because of my recruitment background. There wasn't any full transformational stuff. But in 2021, I watched a video on YouTube. And if you'd like to put this in the show notes for people to see it, uh, it's two hours and 10 minutes, Eric, of DNA alteringly good content. And it's footage of a guy, Steve Hardison, who's somewhat of an enigma, but he's known as the ultimate coach. And he's a 67-year-old Mormon guy out of Mesa, Arizona, who has coached people like Byron Katie and Yana Van Zandt, who was Oprah Winfrey's coach, and a huge plethora of billionaires and tech CEOs and just amazing sports people, Olympic athletes and that kind of thing. Even Becky Robbins, Tony Robbins' ex-wife is currently being coached by him now, right? And... This video was all about our state of being. And I watched this video from a recommendation of someone that had been coached by Steve. And, and this guy doesn't muck around. He's 200,000 USD for 50 hours coaching with him, right? And for 50 and or 15? Out, five zero. Five zero. Okay. Which is not the highest in the world, but it's like a good chunk of change for a life coach, right? Absolutely. And I watched this video. I watched this video, Eric, and I and I was so moved by it that I was like, I need to speak to this guy to see if what I'm witnessing here is the real deal. And I'm a very resourceful guy, and I got a cell phone number, and I called him up, and he picked up the phone, and I said, is, is this Steve Hardison? He said, yes, it is. I said, Steve, it's Laban here from Melbourne, Australia. And he goes, Laban, so great to hear from you. I've been waiting for this call all my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? What a way to answer the phone. And I go, Steve, I go, Steve, I just watched this video of you with this guy, Deuce Latouille, who's a former NFL player and with the uh, with the Phoenix NFL team. And I said, I just wanted to ask you one very specific question. And before I tell you what the question was, Steve, for years, had turned down public appearances, podcast interviews, newspaper articles. He turned down being on the Oprah Winfrey show four times. For what reason, I don't know. But he just chose to remain that way. And I said, Steve, what do you need help with? Because I knew this guy was incredibly successful. I knew that he had more money than God. I knew that he had an amazing 40-year marriage and a huge big family. And he said to me, he goes, Laban, you know what? I really want to acknowledge you for asking me that question. But I'm 8% body fat, do 10 miles a day. I got everything a man could ever want. But I really want to... Thank you for asking me that question. I said, oh, no worries, Steve. You're welcome. Uh, I said, are you still not doing interviews and that kind of thing? He goes, that's right. And I said, oh, no, it's no worries. I said, the reason I ask is uh, I'm a speaker. I'm a coach. I've got this incredible podcast series called Become Your Own Superhero. And I'm well on my way to being known as the world's most positively influential speaker. But, you know, someone I was talking to the other day, Steve, said that there's too much ego associated with that statement. And Steve, this devout Mormon, yells down the phone at me here. He goes, Laban, you tell that person to fuck off. You know who I am. <laughs> and I go, oh, Steve, I'm getting evangelical at this point. He goes, I'm the best coach in the world. And the way he said it had zero ego about it. Nothing. And I was like, what was that? And we had a 13-minute conversation that day that changed my life forever. I hung up the phone and I rang a gentleman by the name of Chris Doris, who's been coached by Steve Hardison and features in the video that I referenced. 
He's known as the mental toughness coach, and he works used to work with PGA golfers, NFL stars. Now he runs all of Salesforce and a number of other big, big blue blue chip companies, right? Their, their mental toughness training. And I said, Chris, I just spoke to Steve Harnison. He goes, what do you mean? And I go, I just had this incredible conversation with Steve. It like completely changed my life. He goes, what do you mean? And I go, I was just on the phone to Steve Harnison. We just had this great chat. He goes, you just called up Steve Harnison out of the blue? And I go, yeah, what's the big deal? He goes, do you have any idea of the gift of courage you have to bring to the world? And in that moment, Eric, the world's best courage coach was manifested. Oof. A statement not for ego, but a declaration to the universe about how I show up. And I said to Chris, and Anna was in Russia at the time, I said, Chris, I'm stranded here in, in Australia and we're destitute broke. I need some money. He said, here's what we're going to do. We brainstormed this idea and here's what it was. I needed to reach out to the CEOs of the biggest companies on planet Earth, which I had a history of doing in terms of bringing on these A-list guests onto my show, lots and lots and lots of them. And I was going to use that skill set and I was going to read them the following script that I'd written out with, with Chris's help and memorized. And I rung a few companies in the US. I rung Eric Yang, who's the CEO for Zoom, right? The very platform we're recording this on. And he picked up and he was in his car and he's a very heavily accented Asian dude. He couldn't understand what I was saying and it cut out and tried a few other places, Cisco and Walmart and couldn't get through to everyone. It was getting late in the US. So I call companies in Australia and I find this company called Hodges Real Estate. And I get the CEO's cell phone number and I ring the cell phone number and this guy, Tony, picks up the phone and says, this is Tony Zarka. And I said, Tony Zarka, it's Laban Ditchburn from Melbourne here. He goes, oh, hi, Laban. Do we know each other? I said, Tony, we've never spoken before, but today's your lucky day. <laughs> he, goes, he laughs. He goes, why is it my lucky day, Laban? I said, because, Tony, I'm the world's best courage coach. And I teach your people how to take bold, massive, and courageous action so that they can facilitate their own miraculous outcomes. Well, what took place on that phone call was 13 minutes of another completely transformative conversation that resulted in him inviting me back the following Wednesday to pitch for training and coaching for his organization. No pitch deck, no warm intro, just some out, outrageous cold call. And I know you know all about cold calls. So I get on this the Zoom the following Wednesday and we're still in lockdown. So he's at home at his place. I'm back in my place. And Steve Harrison talks about the power being in the listener. And so I asked this guy one very specific question about the direction he wanted to take his business and just shut my mouth. 45 minutes, this guy just verbally unloaded everything that had been going around in his head. And in the process gave me everything that I needed to know in order to best serve this organization. He finished speaking and I said to him, Tony, what about being the best real estate company in the state of Victoria? About 5 million people. And he looks at me, kind of cocks his head and goes, so that's sort of nodding subconsciously a little bit, right? And I said, well, what about becoming the best real estate company in Australia? Now he's really getting into the swing of things, right? I said, Tony, you do realize, Nord, if you'd have the best real estate company in Australia, you need to be the best real estate CEO. 30 seconds later, Tony Zarka's got his fist pumped into the air, yelling at the top of his lungs, scaring the crap out of his wife and kids at home, saying, 
I'm the best real estate CEO in the world. <laughs> I pitched 250,000 Australian dollars, about 175,000 US dollars on that call for training and coaching for that organization, which was the amount that I very quickly tabulated in my head was going to be the amount that they needed the minimum amount of help with, right? Lots of work required. You know what he said to me, Eric? He goes, Laban, you didn't laugh at me. You didn't hang up on me. You didn't scoff. You didn't belittle me. He said, Laban, he goes, he goes, I physically do not have the liquid to invest in that right now, but let me see what I can do. And in that moment, Eric, this invisible glass ceiling of limiting beliefs just was eviscerated. And I realized something unbelievably important that I could play at the highest levels of industry with the way that I showed up in the world with an outrageous declaration of being the world's best courage coach, a statement which is intangible and non-quantifiable because unless there's a conference in Las Vegas, Nevada this year for the world's best courage coach, no one can take that away from me. And so if you're listening to this and this resonates with you, you could have your own world's best declaration as well. Something that's non-quantifiable, it's intangible. And the questions that I would ask you that help you find that answer are, what are you the best in the world at that other, other people find really challenging? What do people ask you for advice for constantly? And what do you do when you do it that sets your soul on fire? You probably don't know the answer straight away, but ruminate on those three questions and then Send me a message. Let me know if you come up with your own world's best statement. The way that it's allowed me to show up differently and the way that the people that play at the top respond to how I'm showing up has completely transformed my life. So to answer your question, Eric, that's exactly how I got into coaching at that level. Did the running and the transformation have anything to do with how you show up and how did you connect the dots? The running started in 2018. I was still working in recruitment until the end of 2019. 2019 was the first year I went out on my own. And 2019 was a total unmitigated financial disaster because I spent all of my time focused on doing things that have now paid dividends in this space that I'm in. I wasn't interested in doing recruitment. And as a result, I didn't bring in a single dollar in 2019 from recruitment work. It was like, it was like a, a volunteer job and cost me everything I had financially. So I don't, I, the transition between that period of my life and then, you know, going back to a job in February of 2020 with a recruitment company with my cap in my hand and my tail between my legs, because I knew that I could get a six figure package and cover the bills and we could have food. And then seven weeks later, COVID hitting. And because I was first off the rank, we were made redundant, me and a few other guys. And being forced into lockdown where the only possible way to create without a coaching book was the podcast. And having the podcast and then bringing on some of the most extraordinary people on planet Earth gave me the self-belief, gave me the knowledge, gave me the momentum that I needed to move and step into that coaching and it was through the podcast that I got exposed to a guy, Joe Perone, who I'll always remember and always love. And he introduced me to this ultimate coach group and inevitably the Steve Hardison experience. 
the very reason we're in India at the moment is we came across in late January for an event that took place, and I'm blowing my own trumpet here, because I had a call with a coach here in India in May last year, and I asked him what he needed help with. And he said, Laban, my entire life, I wanted to put on a huge event, and I would love to bring Steve Hardison here because that man's had such a profound impact on my life. And I would not let Coach Ranjan get off that Zoom call until he called Steve Hardison, who he didn't know. But I called Steve, he picked up the phone, and they connected. And then 10 months later, 400 people flew in from all corners of the planet Earth to reconvene at this place in, in India. So that's one of the thousand stories that I could share with you that have happened as the direct result of making a declaration of how I show up in the world. And when I wake up every single day, Eric, I ask myself the same damn question. How would the world's best courage coach conduct himself? But you weren't the world's best courage coach yet, right? Or were you when you started the podcast? Did you already have that declaration? No, no. no that started in, in April 2020. I just celebrated my third anniversary about four or five days ago. I got you. So there, it, there's something... I understand that's how the world's greatest courage coach shows up. I don't understand yet. And this is the key. And I want all the listeners to pay attention to this because you're somewhere right now where Laban was when he got fired, when the lockdowns hit, when there was no podcast. And it takes a special kind of courageous or stupid, which sometimes they're intertwined, individual to pick up the phone and call some of the biggest names, knowing that you're really in your own mind, kind of a failure at this point with no money in the bank account. Right? So what is that? Like, how did you talk yourself into making that call? So when I was, when I had my recruitment business after the money started running at about the six month mark, maybe earlier, I was burning through credit cards and all kinds of lines of credit and stuff. I was forced to reach out to CEOs because in the work that I did in recruitment, CIO, Chief Information Officer, was the, the pinnacle level that you would ever really deal with. Never CEOs, but out of necessity because I was back, being backed into a corner, right? Because we were going broke. I was cold calling these CEOs and I would have some reasonable conversations with them. And I, I never stuck at it long enough to see the fruits of my labor, but I... I was having these positive conversations with CEOs. And so when I, when I took the job uh, in, well, when I, when I took the job in February of 2020 with my tail between my legs, I'd already had some experience in cold calling. But incidentally, one of the pivotal moments in my life was, was January 2nd, 2020. So this is before I had the podcast, before I had the book, before I had any, I had no platform at all. Didn't even have a website. And a mentor of mine um, suggested that I need to reach out to people, right? So who do I call? Like Brene Brown. Got her phone number. And I ring her. How'd you get her and phone number? So here's a tip. Here's a pro tip. Go to lusha.com, L-U-S-H-A.com, and download. It's a free download. And you can. there's a premium membership available. And you install it over LinkedIn. And it does work on some other websites. It's a legal product. And it reveals, at times, email address and phone numbers of people on LinkedIn. And you forget that some people like Brene Brown might have joined LinkedIn in 2006 when she registered her cell phone number 
And then all of a sudden she got famous over the preceding 10, 15 years and it's still there. And so was Les Brown's phone number. And so was Princess Beatrice's phone number and a litany of other very high profile people, including some very high up politicians. And, and I, run I actually Brene. am proud to say that I have Les Brown's cell phone number in my phone. So right. <laughs> good stuff. So I ring Brene. She picks up the phone. It's news day where she is because we're ahead in Australia with the time zone. And she picks up the phone and that southern draw. Ah, this is Brene speaking. Uh, Brene Brown? Yes, it is. I said, Brene Brown, it's Labor Ditchburn from Melbourne, Australia here. You can see there's a theme here, Eric, with the geographical location thing. I don't know. Yeah, why? About, right? Gives people a mental image. And everyone loves Australia and New Zealand when you're American, for the most part. And she said, oh, hi, Laban. How can I? I said, Brene, I, the reason for the call is I've uh, been instructed by my mentors that I need to reach out and connect with people that are much further along on the journey than, than I am. And I was interested to know if you had, if you wanted to share some ideas. <laughs> and she said, would you mind sending me an email with what you had in mind? And I went, sure. So I recorded a one minute video and wrote this horrendous bio at that time of what I thought was cool. And I've since watched the video back and it's horrendous. And she responded. And she said, Laban, thank you for your email with what I have committed with university and family right now. I cannot give this the attention that it deserves. You will do beautifully, Renee. And it was her response that I, I know was the catalyst for the momentum to reach out and connect with these other people. And so I don't know where that answers your question, but maybe that at least gives a bit more insight in, in terms of the timeline of what happened. Yeah, I think if Brene Brown writes you back, that kind of gives you some kind of a motivation under you or clears it up that, you know what, I can, I can make these calls. It's pretty freaking awesome, man. All right. So somebody, somebody's sitting at home right now. They're stuck. Right now we're recording it, recording this episode. It's Monday, almost noon. And um, they went to a job that they really don't like, yet they're hoping they don't get fired today. And they know there's something more for them. How did how would you encourage somebody to start exploring that? Look, the first thing I would ask anyone to think about, I wouldn't try and convince anyone of anything, is that that I had to do all of my movement out of necessity, out of a pain that I, I, it was worse for me to stay in that pain than it was to find out what the other pain was going to be. Mm. So you really need to be at a point of, I'm ready to do something about this. And I would just ask yourself this question, what's life going to look like in six months from now if I keep doing the same thing? And if you can't bear the thought of that answer, then you better do something about it. And then the next thing I would suggest if they're like, well, what do I do, Laban? I would say find people, credible people that have done what you want to achieve and ask them for help. And like Les Brown says, ask for help, not so that you appear weak, but so that you can remain strong and keep asking for help until you get it, and especially men. Right, we're too pride, too proud, and we're like we're the provider and all the other stuff. I have asked for so much help, unbelievable amount. I give a lot too, but I've asked for a lot of help. 
And I learned, I learned about reciprocity. I learned about how to do it in a way that wasn't sucking the life out of the people that I needed help from. And these are just little things. That there's way too much to share in a, in a 60 minute podcast, but you've got to, you've got to find people that have done what you want to do. And, and whether you learn from them through books or through podcasts or listening to this podcast or reading your book, like find ways to, to figure it out. People have already done the hard work for us, right? We don't need to reinvent anything. And, and I've read since uh, 2018, Eric, it's 550 books. Wow. And there's no nonfiction there apart from a couple, couple of uh, modern day parables like the go-giver and stuff that are, you know, technically fiction, but yeah. you know, like, and, and I, prior to that, I was lucky to read a book a year. I'm with you. So, so you're actually, I'm glad you brought that up because you have this podcasting for heroes or podcasting heroes. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause you're doing exactly that for podcasters. I got, I received some really great advice recently, Eric, and they said, Laban, you have, you're like, you're the best in the world. As far as we can tell, you might be the world's best courage coach and that's a great fuel source, but you're the best in the world at reaching out and connecting with these people, bringing them on as guests and then fostering relationships with them and friendships in some cases, you know, to give you an example, Anna and I spent two lots of three months uh, in the U S last year. 80% of the time in the U.S. was staying at the homes of former podcast guests. And I've, and I've worked out these numbers. This is no word of a lie, Eric. I've received in excess of a million U.S. dollars in free stuff directly as a result of having the podcast. So they're like, why don't you teach people how to do that? Because I don't have a big audience. You know, I've interviewed some pretty controversial people. And ever since I did that, my YouTube channel took a massive hammering and videos have been deleted and shadow banning and this kind of stuff. And I was like, pulling my hair out, metaphorically, of course, about how I can, how I can turn this into a way to survive and thrive. And so what I, who I work with is podcasters and people who are so serious about having a podcast, not just a hobby, because this wouldn't suit you if it's just a hobby. But if you're serious about learning new and inventive ways about how to create not just income, but like lifelong re relationships with people that are, have been your hero. You know, I talk about Les Brown. We had dinner at his home in Atlanta last year. You know, just Anna, Les and I. Like we got to experience four or five hours with my hero. And, and he was the one that was crying and that Anna comforted after we were asking him what he needed help with. Things like this that you can't buy, these experiences that cannot be bought, but, but can, be, can, it can be easily replicatable by just following the basic fundamental laws of the universe. I'm not creating new anything here. I'm just bundling together laws of the universe in a way that allows the universe to just bless you with abundance and all without spending a dime practically. I love it. Laban, you are incredible. Just know that though I'm not a guest, I'm a host. You have another place to stay on the uh, West coast of Florida. If you come down free of charge, I'd love to pick your brain, man. And uh, host <laughs> you and Anna here with Julia. Um, how can people That's find good. you or get a hold of you? Look, the, the best place to send people uh, is podcastingheroes.com. 
There's a five-day training, free five-day video training, which goes into more detail about some of the, the tips. And even if you don't have a podcast, it's a really great way to introduce you to a new way of reaching out to people that you want to connect with. And it might give you the prompt to start a podcast later on. Otherwise, Laban Ditchburn is the only combination of those two words on planet Earth. So if you can't find me, you don't want to find me. <laughs> and we'll have all the links right here. Now, also, for those of you who don't know, um, I've created something incredible for anyone who's kind of stuck in reaching their goals. It's called Relentless Goal Achievers. And um, it's a place where we get together live in a group setting. People talk about where they want to get to, why they're stuck. And as a community, we help them come up with the right steps to get to where they want to go. The beautiful part is we're still in the founding member stage and it's only 47 bucks per month. So you can borrow that from your kids and go join. Click on a link somewhere here because my Mav, my amazing podcast team member, manager, whatever you want to call her, she is the best, is going to put some button on a screen that you can click on and is going to take you there. Laban, you are the man. Thank you for over-delivering on the value, man. And I look forward to our next conversation. Spasiba Bolshoya, Eric. Thank you very much.